Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. And by the way, with you tonight here, it's Ian. And Jay. So there's also the Library Corporation, which had programmers that were working on that code. It had a CEO. It had a your typical kind of corporate structure. And there's also something else called the Library Foundation. The Library Foundation wasn't involved in this lawsuit. The code itself obviously can't be involved in a lawsuit. The SEC came after Library the Corporation. Why? Well, because you can target a corporation. It has a board of directors. It has a, a CEO or whatever, right? Like it's got some but sort of... A corporation is actually the creature of the state. That's true. A corporation exists because the secretary of state approves a corporate charter or an application yes. for a corporation. But it has people behind it. There are people who asked for that charter. Correct. There are people who filled out the applications asking for the benefit of having the the perceived benefit, at least, of, of having a corporation. So they knew who to go after. They knew where their office was located. And they uh, they went after him, and they they won. I mean, ultimately, the SEC won the case. They have destroyed the Library Corporation. It has no more employees. It has no money with which to uh, to pay its employees. They are going through the process of completely shutting down. They have to pay over a hundred and I think it's one hundred ten thousand or one hundred eleven thousand uh, dollars to the SEC if they even have that. I don't know. I don't know what their their finances are. It, it didn't look very good in December when they filed a report with the court in this case. But the good news is, if there's any good news in this library case, it is that Odyssey, which is the platform that is sort of built on library, not entirely. Library's involved in Odyssey, but Odyssey's also got central servers where it stores video content. Odyssey's a video sharing platform, kind of like YouTube, but without the censorship that YouTube has. And we've been streaming and we've been posting our content there for a few years now. And so the big question, I think, in the library case, and I have reached out to Jeremy Kaufman to see if we can get him on the show to talk about it in the next few days. I'm sure he's got a bunch of interviews he's in the middle of doing. He's the CEO over there. Um, Just kind of get his perspective on what all this means. But uh, the the good news is Odyssey, the SEC wanted to enjoin Odyssey. They wanted to go after Odyssey because Odyssey did come from library. So library sort of gave birth to this other corporate entity, uh, this website, odyssey.com, where you can go and subscribe to us by going to video.freetalklive.com. That takes you right to our Odyssey channel. You can subscribe to our channel there. You can also uh, send contributions to us directly through Odyssey, which is a very cool feature that they have as well but the big question was were they going to be shut down also was the sec going to be able to enjoin them from sharing library tokens with their users for instance which is what library got in trouble for library actually got in trouble for giving away library tokens so even though they didn't i mean they they did have a way you could you could buy the tokens obviously but they actually would just give people tokens for just signing up an account, just creating an account with uh, with their system. They yeah, would- yeah. This is like a, just a, a, a an extreme example of all this stuff. As uh, you know, the the evil flailing you know multiple head monster we call the bankers, you know, the den of vipers, as mm-hmm. John Adams referred to them. You know, uh, they're uh, they're fighting back as hard as they can because you know. If they don't, they're really, really going to lose. I think they're going to lose anyways. Uh, in you mean the end, in the long run? Yeah. In the long run, because yeah. the technology is just so much superior, and, and the world is waking up. And you know, people like me are encouraging everyone not to use this fiat dollar because it's you know create it creates all the problems that we have today are sure. are a hundred percent because of fractional reserve banking and money created out of thin air, and all the all of Jeffrey Epstein's friends, uh, all of his clients, all, all the people who rape little boys and girls the child molesters, um, you know, they get all their power, all their influence, all their authority because they are at the top of the food chain. They are the the people that are essentially controlling, you know, the creation of money, how much money there is to, you know, at, at, at their whims and just creating out of thin air. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and, and the thing too, with, um, you know, Jeremy Kaufman, like, uh, I, I know his family really well Mm -hmm. and like his son, his oldest son is six years old. And he uh, did a man camp pro- project at a uh, pork fest. He made an iron coat hook and the kid was amazing. Uh, uh, how well he did. Probably his, helps that he's homeschooled, right? Well, so he's homeschooled, you mm-hmm. know, his dad's a really smart dude. 
Um, you know, and, and also his his uh, his mom, you know, uh, Rachel, uh, uh, is uh, she she's a superstar mom. They're they're just a really good family, mm-hmm. and and this is like this is an attack on a good family. It absolutely is, and it's an attack against the freedom to, to share information on a all, wider all basis. That stuff. We actually have, I believe, Sheriff uh, Hathaway down there in uh, David Hathaway in Arizona on the line here, David. Yeah, good evening, uh, Ian and Jay. I'd like to talk tonight about the despicable federal sentencing process. Um, Sure. I've been through this many times, and I think a lot of people don't understand it. Uh, Some of the things that are really bad about it, uh, anybody who's watched Perry Mason thinks that, you know, you you don't allow hearsay in a courtroom, but in federal sentencing hearings, federal agents are allowed to use hearsay in other words to say things that they've heard from other people another thing they've allowed to do is uh, they get designated as expert witnesses which allows them to speculate and and render opinions but what this all results in is things being added to the sentence there's a thing called mm-hmm. pretrial services that creates a sentencing report for the judge and it's all based on points and, right. and what this results in is a federal agent can summarize things that were told to him by a paid informant, like a third party who's actually not on the witness stand, mm-hmm. and enter this as evidence. And people who are federal prisoners or federal defendants, they be, they come to understand this process, and they're surprised by it. Like, mm-hmm. they're baffled, how can this be that people get sentenced for things that they were never convicted on in court, they never mm-hmm. charged on in court. And uh, there's a word for this that federal prisoners call this ghost crimes or ghost charges or if it's a drug yeah, case. Yeah, somebody had brought ghost, this up ghost. on the air, I don't know, a few months ago, and uh, we learned it's done a lot in drug cases specifically. Yeah, but... and it's done it's done in other cases mm-hmm. too. Like, let me give you an example from a drug case. Say that there's a somebody's convicted of an eight ball of crack cocaine, like three and a half grams of crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. And that the federal agents actually sees that through an undercover operation. They put the drugs on the table, they charge, and they get a conviction. But what happens is in the sentencing hearing, a federal agent will get on the witness stand and he will summarize what he has been told by a paid defendant, a third-party individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the hearsay. And they'll go to a paid informant and they, they'll ask the informant, well, um, how often do you think this guy deals dope? Oh, about every day. Well, how much hmm. does he deal in a week? Like, oh, multiple ounces every week. So how long has he been doing this? Would you say 10 years? Oh, yeah, I'd say at least 10 years. And then they do the math, and they multiply it out, hmm. and they wind up to charging the guy, uh, I mean, sentencing him on 100 kilos of cocaine, even though they only charged him and presented evidence on three and a half grams of cocaine right. that they got from him. So this, they'll call this ghost dope, but they do this on other things too. Like say Ross Albrecht, they'll get a federal agent to suggest that he was tangentially involved or facilitated a bunch of homicides, mm-hmm. which he never did. Which they did. And they never charged him with homicide. Right. They never presented evidence or it wasn't even one of the pending charges. So you get a guy who created an internet platform, you know, just something like Google or like Gmail, some way where people can communicate with each other. And they will suggest that through this platform, people may have done, may have communicated about contract killings. We're not mm-hmm. going to prove it or present right. any evidence wow. or, charge Ross, or charge Ross Albrecht. But at the sentencing hearing, they do this sort of hearsay, and it sort of suggested that Ross Albrecht was, uh, you know, sort of involved in uh, facilitating contract killings. And then they'll get the federal agent to be designated as an expert witness, which means he's allowed to render an opinion, Hmm. which otherwise opinions aren't allowed. Hearsay is not allowed. And I saw this happen many times in federal court. And then there's these things called enhancements when pretrial Mm -hmm. services does a a, um, a sentencing report. It's based on points that puts you in a certain sentencing range. Right. And they can have points that increase or things that reduce the points to make it go higher and lower on the sentencing range. Mm-hmm. And like, there's different things like uh, there's one called use of a firearm to facilitate a federal crime. And you'll quite often see this in drug crimes where there was not a firearms charge as part of the indictment. It was not proven. It was not even charged. Uh, 
and but what they'll do in the sentencing hearing, they'll get they'll go to an informant once again hearsay third party and say, hey, did this guy have a gun? Oh yeah, he had a gun. Uh, did he have it with him all the time? Well, he would have it in his house. Um, were some of these drug crimes committed in his house? Oh yeah, I saw people with dope in his house. Mm -hmm. Do you think this guy would have used the gu the gun if things went squirrely? Oh yeah, I'm sure he would have used the wow. gun. So then what they do is they they paraphrase that and they get a federal agent in the sentencing hearing to say how this guy had a gun and how it was in mm -hmm. essence used to facilitate a drug crime even though there was never a gun charge wow. and then they will add points onto the sentencing for use of a firearm in in commission of a drug crime and there's other things they do too like for example a school zone if you're within a thousand or fifteen hundred feet Sometimes they use those two standards, which is like mm -hmm. three or five football fields from a school. Um, it, then they will say uh, federal crime within a school zone. I know, Jay, you wanted to, uh, I don't know, say something to the sheriff, make sure we get that out there. So go Yeah, right well, I got a couple things. Um, I wanted to ask you some questions about confidential informants, but first... I'd like to thank you for your, uh, you sent me a letter and a nice little uh, contribution to help put on man camp. Um, and nice. uh, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, man camp was, uh, got great reviews from parents and uh, just people in general. In fact, uh, there was a, that news reporter that was at Pork Fest hanging out with Aria. Uh, you remember her? I think she was from one of the Boston papers. Uh, yeah, I met her. Do you remember what paper she was from? I don't think, I, I feel like it was the Globe, but I, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. But she was from like a very popular big yeah. Boston paper. I haven't seen the story published yet, so I don't know. And uh, she interviewed me quite a bit, uh, which was cool. Uh, but yeah, it was a great time. Uh, one dad told me uh, that all the kids uh, leveled up their character in a game of life. Nice. And I told the wow. guy, yeah, my dad used to say that was called manning up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, thank thank you, Jay, for the, the kind note there. And we we have nine children, and we still have our 16-year-old son at home, and we were just thinking about the logistics of getting back there, and I know he would have loved man camp, and we do live in a ranch environment here. We do have a ranch and do, you know, do ranch work, you know, type things, working on the well and the fences and cutting firewood and, mm -hmm. and you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, we, we were trying to make it happen, figure out a way to get to Fork Fest and Pork Fest, and it just <laughs> it didn't work out. But I'm, I'm glad that you had a successful man camp, and I loved your description of the coat hooks and just letting the kids get a drill and get a hammer and just, you know, things that maybe I take for granted or you take for granted, but you think a lot of city kids, a lot of modern kids just kind of glued to their devices. Mm -hmm. They don't get to experience that, just like getting a – getting a uh, you know battery-powered drill and just screwing uh, nails into a log or something like that. So I, I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, I, I actually, we have a stump that I'm letting my kids uh, screw uh, screws into and nails into that's just going to get dug up someday, and <laughs> it's just kind of a, you know, a tree that was cut a few years ago. The stump's not really rotted yet, and, and it's like, hey, you guys want to do this? Go for it, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just good practice. And uh, so, you know, I am planning on spending a little bit of time in Arizona this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we do a little bit of, um, so my, 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 where I'll be is in Oro Valley. My mom lives there. Not, it's not too, too terribly far from where you are. And I'd be happy to come to your ranch. And I'm sure if we did a little bit of, um, outreach, we could find someone who would let us borrow a forge and all kinds of blacksmithing equipment. And, you know, especially if it's like some old guy who would just love this or any of these guys love to see kids work this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, yeah. I, I suggest this to them and they're like, oh yeah, we can do that. And and, you know, part of what I want to do with this, you know, man camp thing is like everybody who's got a trade, you know, should, you know, should do this. Uh, for example, I had a neighbor that was um, when I was like from the time I was, I don't know, I guess in like fifth grade to like a senior in high school. Uh, this guy lived across the street from my house. Uh, he was really into muscle cars. He always had like two or three muscle cars he was working on and he was rebuilding engines and transmissions. And uh, me and a handful of kids just he used used to let us just hang out there and help and watch and like that really like uh you know got my um my interest in like just mechanics and stuff but the guys like that who are just working on their you know their hobby you know he, this guy worked in a factory and his his hobby was you know muscle cars and you know every night till you know 10 11 o'clock at night during the summertime and on the weekends there'd be three four kids over there just hanging out with teenagers and 
he was happy that we were we were there hanging out in his shop having interest in what he was doing and we weren't out causing trouble or you know drinking or whatever and um so, so anybody could do this anybody who's into blacksmithing anybody who's a mechanic anybody who's like uh, a carpenter i mean even like a guy who's an electrician could you know start teaching young kids about electricity with little mock setups or even like wiring mm-hmm. up you know houses and you know just and 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 you know 200 years ago every kid had so many competent skills like 200 years ago every kid could harness a horse that was 12 years yeah, old well, like the, you know my grandparents and my wife's grandparents all built their old ho- their own houses and and i know old guys like you not like you're not an old guy <laughs> but i know old guys that have that have this attitude that if a young person has any spark of interest, they'll just take all the time in the world. They'll t- show them how to reload ammo or how to work on a car. Just like to take some some young person under their wing and help out. So you know, you we could we could come up with people like that. And some of the things you were saying reminded me back when I went to high school. I went to public school, and I had a history teacher that said he knew I lived on a ranch and I milked cows every day and we butchered cow. He said could you come butcher a chicken in front of this class? Because these kids, they go eat their, you know, fried chicken from Kentucky Fried, and they don't know where this comes from. And my dad is, uh, well, he's passed away now, but he's a lawyer besides being a rancher. And he's like, you know what? One of these touchy-feely parents would wind up suing us and saying that you gave their child trauma trauma if you cut the head off the chicken and they're running around the classroom spurting blood all over the place. He said, no. I don't think you should do this, but the the teacher had that right idea, teaching the mm-hmm. kids how to how to face the reality of life. You're going to McDonald's, you're eating a cheeseburger, you're eating fried chicken, but you don't know where the stuff comes from. He wanted them to have a wake-up call, but I think the public school environment wasn't the right way where you have a bunch of kids held captive that are probably city kids, and they got their moms and dads that would be all ready to sue me and my family and the school board for tra- traumatizing their, their kid. I know, David, you'd wanted to talk about human trafficking as uh, as an issue. It's certainly something that comes up uh, a lot when it comes to border communities. It's uh, it's become this buzzword in political circles that I've even heard up here in New Hampshire. Like, for instance, when there's been a proposal to legalize or decriminalize prostitu- prostitution, the people who oppose it, love to trot out this idea of human trafficking and they they seem to think that every woman or man who is engaged in prostitution these days is somehow a victim of these human these uh, dastardly human traffickers and of course the actual prostitutes come up and you know they they speak out not not the ones from new hampshire it's usually ones from surrounding states uh that uh, that will come up because obviously the ones in new hampshire don't want to reveal themselves because it's prohibited but, uh, they, you know, they, they have, like, sex work spokespeople that come in and they say, no, this is something that, uh, you know, while there are people who are victims of human trafficking, not to say that doesn't exist, the bulk of the people in prostitution, they say, are doing it on a voluntary basis. They're choosing to because it is a lucrative business. Uh, they're not doing it at the, the point of a gun or the threat of uh, their family being sliced up by some Russian mafia. So, you know, what, did you, what was it you wanted to say about that issue? Yeah, it's totally a bogus thing, and the uh, conservatives, especially conservative Christians, get mad when I when I bring this up. What has happened is conservatives are looking for something to get away from the label of racist when they when they want to build walls on the border and when they don't want Mexicans to come in or Guatemalans to come into the U.S. Mm-hmm. to work. These are migrants that are coming in here to work, so they. They need another explanation. So what they've come up with is this idea of human trafficking, human slavery, human smuggling, sex trafficking, child trafficking, to try to make it sound like they're concerned for human rights. That's Mm -hmm. why they're opposed to Mexicans coming in. That's why we put Border Patrol in our church bulletins, pray for Border Patrol. They're like the new Messiah, like the new Jesus. And all across the country, it's like this in these conservative Christian congregations. But it's just totally bogus. And Mm -hmm. it's a thing that there's now grant money from Washington available, and both conservative and liberal groups have, you know, fallen for this hook, hook, line, and sinker, you know, as if 
oh, there's this thing, these groups that are enslaving people and dreaming and bringing them in and, and bringing little girls and bringing little boys and bringing people in and bringing people in, forcing them to work, you know, to pick vegetables in the field. And it's actually the total opposite. You know, when you prohibit something, you, you then there's always free market solutions that pop up. So when they prohibit people from crossing the border, border there's these guides, some people call them coyotes, some mm-hmm. people call them mules. It's a free market creation where you can pay somebody that knows the route and knows how to get you into the U.S. And as a matter of fact, there was a survey done last year of people who had used a guide. And of course, the the people on the other side of this issue would call them a human smuggler and act like they're forcing people into slavery. But they used a guide. They paid somebody. There was a survey and they said 75 percent of them said they were very happy with the services provided by the guide, and 50% said they would recommend them to a relative. So (laughs) this is like a free market solution, but it's been totally demonized, and they had to find a way to demonize it that doesn't sound like you're a racist. But if I could, like, maybe paint a picture of do a little analogy, like, say, for example, you hear a story about, oh, there was a U-Haul truck, mm-hmm. and there was people that died in the back from yep. the heat. Yeah, you hear about those things. Suffocated to the, you know, they'll, they'll say things like this, these dastardly human smugglers. But, but what it's really like, um, let's say that there was some Jews in World War II living in an attic in Nazi Germany, hiding from the Gestapo. Um, and then let's say there was a family that was living in that house, shielding them. Mm-hmm. And then if you have the Nazis go through the neighborhood with a bullhorn saying, anybody who's helping to hide Jews, we're going to arrest you. And say they run off the family that was protecting these Jews and giving them food, passing food up into the attic. And let's say the Jews freeze to death up in the attic mm-hmm. because the people that were taking care of them, because they were made illegal by the government, the people taking care of them were run off or you know demonized or threatened with arrest. I don't know, Jay, if you've heard these people talking about invading Mexico with the U.S. military and going after the a, cartels. A little bit, and I definitely have some commentary on that. So when I was in Colorado, I worked with a whole bunch of guys that were you know, undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, uh, so I, I talk about this a lot. Like, I really, really like that Spanish culture. I like that their priority is like their family. Uh, they, they really like their kids. They're proud of their kids. That's why they've come up here, right? So they can work and send yep. money back to their family. Uh, yeah. And yep. a, a lot of my raising families here and, you know, are, are, are going to stay here. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, those, those, uh, Mexican folks uh, are, if they're your neighbor, uh, um, they especially first generation ones, and they have kids. They're a huge asset to your community. It'd be it'd just as much of an asset as if you had Amish or Mennonite neighbors, um, and and they had kids yeah. because they're just they're, they're good they're, people, they're reliable good people. They want to get along with everybody. They want to raise their kids. And and the example is is like a lot of the white guys I worked with in Colorado. Um, you were doing construction farm stuff, right? Uh, well, farming. We mm-hmm. were corporate big you know large scale farming uh the outfit i worked for we mm-hmm. worked about three thousand acres one of the dairies we worked for you know milked 6200 cows big you know corporate dairy anyways um the uh so like a lot of the white guys you know a lot of them would be like oh you know check out this this hoe that i found on tinder um you know mm-hmm. uh you know um uh, and or they would be like, oh, I got to pay child support, or you know, I can't, I, I, I you know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta deal with my kids this weekend. I can't, you know, work or whatever mm-hmm. or something. Um, but a lot of these guys' agenda was like going to the bar, picking up girls, you know, the rims that he got for his truck, or you know, the stupid, you know, paint job on, you know, the Harley Davidson motorcycle, the four wheelers, the jet yeah. ski. Like th- that was what they were proud of. It's where like. The uh, the Mexican guys were like, oh, look, look at this picture that my daughter drew me. My, mm-hmm. my wife sent me a picture of it today while I'm at work, you know, mm-hmm. on the phone. And uh, they'd show me like videos of their kids doing things like like uh, Julio was one guy I worked with a, with a lot. And uh, he had uh, three kids. And I remember his um, his oldest son was like eight and could run the skid steer like a pro. You know, a, a bobcat skid steer machine, and he could like stack hay mm. with it, and he would like you know load the feed truck. Like the kid had mad skills because mm-hmm. uh, he was just following his dad around, wanting to work with his dad. Um, so like these guys, 
uh, like, so one of the things that I learned from Julio is Julio would say to me, he's like, when you have a baby, he says that that baby is going to want to be in, is going to be interested in doing things. And whenever that baby's interested in doing it, just do it with them mm-hmm. because uh, then they're going to love doing it. So like, you know, um, I, I sent Sheriff Hathaway actually a, a video of my of my son who was 18 months old at the time. We were working on a chicken coop uh, using the impact driver, dr- drilling screws in as we we're assembling a chip- chicken coop, you know, with the power tools. Mm-hmm. And I'm holding it and he's just pulling the trigger and just, you know, having fun. And um, but the thing is, is uh, the uh, oh, so if you were going to start. Uh, so the other thing, too, Mexican culture really um, likes to cartel. Like all the Mexican people I met when I talked talked to them about the cartel, mm-hmm. they didn't have like a bad, you know, saying about the cartel. They they were like, oh, the cartel takes care of a lot of old people, and you know, the cartel helps people. You know, do, they had positive things sort of I've about heard the this, cartel. Yeah. And the thing was, was the cartel is just very serious if you're going to try to compete with them. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to try to deal drugs, or you're going to try to, you know, um, you're going to hear interfere from in their yeah. operation, or you know, take some of their whatever. Um, it's not going to go good. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like if um, he, you know, like uh, Julio would say, if my wife and kids were on the side of the road with a flat tire, flat tire, you know, he would rather a couple of cartel guys stop and stop and help him out than mm-hmm. a couple of police federales, federales. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, stop mm-hmm. and help him out because the you know the police were like very corrupt, and a lot of these cartel guys, um, you know, they're just they they're 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 a lot of them are family men. Now there are. You know, if you like um, with some of the child trafficking stuff that's going on, there's definitely some cartel dudes that are you know into bad stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, that, well, there's a segment of the population that's definitely into, you know, bad, evil things. Mm-hmm. Um, some but, of them probably work for the federales. Uh, or they work, you know, they're, they're, they're working for the Biden administration, you know, mm-hmm. rounding up all kinds of kids. So, you know, the Clintons can get their you know, adrenochrome mm-hmm. uh, fix or, you know, whatever. But anyways, the uh, but if you were to start. Um, like if the government really wanted to create some major like domestic terrorism in the United States, like, you know, from people with, you know, within the United States of America, uh, they start, you know, um, bombing villages and places in, um, Mexico. Mm -hmm. There are so many Mexican nationals here that would basically set this country on fire from inside. Um, and because, yeah, of course they're going to do the same thing that they did in Afghanistan right. and Iraq, where they're going to say, "Oh well, we thought it was a cartel target, yep. but it turned out it was just a wedding party, or yep. it was just a hospital, yep. or whatever." I mean, the, yep. the idea that that's somehow not going to happen in Mexico is absolute fantasy. And you're uh, right, and I, I I believe that you know the people who want war in this country, all the people who are the war hawks, the neocons, mm-hmm. you know, all of Jeffrey Epstein's friends, they want massive distraction, they want. You know, uh, they want things going bad here. They would love to see actual, real, homegrown domestic terrorism, and I believe one of the ways that they would could attain that goal mm-hmm. is by doing Attacking a military operation and just murdering all kinds of innocent people in Mexico. Because right. um, you, 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 you take going to be blowback from that, and, and it, absolutely. And, and if you thought that nine eleven was blowback, and it was right, like the, if you thought that was enough. And that's really the only significant kind of terrorism that has happened outside of maybe the Boston Marathon bombing in the last 20 years in the United States. There's a whole ocean between here and there, right? Right. Like there's a lot of space between the United States and the Middle East, but there's not so much space between Mexico and the United States. So it would be a whole new ballgame as far as blowback is concerned. There would be nothing stopping whatever kind of blowback would come from the attack or the potential of an attack against the cartels. We got Chuck on the line in Washington. Chuck, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> talking about invading Mexico. One of uh, former President Trump's uh, talking points now is to send the United States Navy to, I guess, the Gulf of Mexico or off the shore of the Pacific Ocean and send in uh, military to uh, combat the um uh, cartels, but at the Insane. same time, he uh, he uh, he says that he loves the Mexican president, the Mexican people, and all of this stuff. And he reminds everybody that he's the only president that's never caused a war. All mm-hmm. these things while sending people to Syria. So if this guy gets reelected, he's going to have a uh, obligation to follow through with that. Well, Thank no, he won't. I mean, that's a, that's the one good thing 
that we can count on here is that politicians are liars and they will say all kinds of things to get elected that they won't actually follow through on. I mean, remember, Trump promised a lot of things the first time around and did not follow through on those things. And that is what every presidential candidate does. They make all kinds of wild promises and then in, they finally get elected and none of those things come true. And they all have a bunch of excuses and reasons for it, but that's just the reality of it. So that's the good news we have here is even if Trump does get elected and he has talked about going into Mexico with uh, the military, he also talked about building a wall and he talked about doing a bunch of other things that he, he didn't do. So likely what will happen is the Pentagon will tell him, Mr. Trump, this is a really bad idea. And then he'll say, well, my advisors have said we shouldn't do this. And that'll be the end of the, the story. Yes. Hopefully. Sending the Navy to the uh, the coast of Mexico sounds like that's really ripe for a Gulf of Tonkin kind of, um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, operation. Gulf of Tonkin is where the U.S. put a uh, U.S. military Navy put one of their ships, a destroyer or something in the Gulf of Tonkin. And then um, then the U.S. blew this shit up ship up. And uh, it was uh, blamed. This was what started uh, Vietnam. Correct? Right. And it was bl- bl- blamed on, the you know, the Vietnam, you, mm-hmm. you know, whatever people so like uh you know and i just you know that's like a that's a that's a thing that was declassified that's like a true thing that happened very you know few people you know all the pro-war people say oh that doesn't happen but the thing is is um the uh, the u.s government is going to need a new boogeyman real soon as soon as this ukraine thing is done and the fact that there are politicians talking about doing this um is very scary it's scary there's no doubt about it Hey, Daily Digest listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin... Visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. Skeeter is on the line in California. Go ahead, Skeeter. Yeah, hey, I just wanted to uh, uh, say it again. First, I'm a true capitalist, and uh, uh, which I don't think you guys are. And uh, Whatever that means, dude. Yeah, because uh, capitalism essentially you know hasn't existed like on a on a mega level since the inception inception of the federal reserve bank as far as i'm concerned because capitalism would be for example a couple of people who have money that they've earned or inherited maybe or you know got some money and they pool it to like because they have an idea and they want to grow their money and do something good to where like the examples that the left likes to use of capitalism aren't really capitalism they're so corporatist usually yeah they're all just they're all just you know, s- s- sucking on the nipple of the Federal Reserve, you know, BlackRock and big banks. You know, all the big banks, all the big corporations, corporations uh, yeah. military industrial com- complex, pharmaceutical, just everything, corporate ag. Uh, none of that is capitalism. Yeah. If any of those guys are borrowing money from a bank and the bank's getting the money due to out of thin air, fractional reserve banking is no longer capitalism. It's crony socialism. Yeah, personally, I don't use the term capitalist to describe myself. I'm a free market or free marketeer or whatever you want to call it, free marketer. I believe in free markets, and I think that in free markets, people can try different organizing methods. So if you want to have yourself a commune, go right ahead. Have yourself a commune and see how that works out for you. You want to have an employee-owned business or you want to you know, have a, a dictatorship of your own business? I don't care. As long as it's voluntary, uh, then it's fine with me. So that's my viewpoint. Go ahead, Skeeter. That's the difference between our philosophies. Uh, we disagree on what the market will do. I don't think the market will preclude uh, aggressive strategies in its, uh, when it uh, functions correctly. So, okay, so let me get back to the drug war, right? Uh, we can debate that another time. So you agree uh, that the market really... is not fun- functioning correctly now, right? What's that? Yeah, it, I, uh, in my, I hold a, now I change my perspective that I think government is a, a, a market experiment. It's part of the market. It's just a, fa- it's going to be a failed market experiment. And we need to evolve out of it, right? I don't disagree with you. It's one of the first things that I think we might have agreed on, uh, Skeeter, that people need to evolve 
out of the desire for this government as we know it, which, of course, as we know, are just goons and tyrants, despots and parasites. Uh, we definitely need to evolve out of that into something that actually respects human rights. Uh, that's what I would say about it. But anyway, what about the war on drugs? Yeah, we uh, we agree on a lot of things. It's just I call in on the disagreements, and you tend to like not listen to anything I say because you think I'm totally against a lot of your positions. But okay, so getting back to the drug war. Um, so again, I'm I'm a evolutionary utilitarian who uh, utilizes true market strategies. I believe that does not preclude aggression, right? So I'm, I call in to criticize uh, the libertarian non-aggression strategy of drug law repeal as it uh, brings about unwanted, unintended consequences for people trying to get rid of government, since it strengthens the very weakness and brings about, the, uh, that actually brings about the collapse of most governments, namely the fact that they tend to collapse fiscally and not through repeal. By repealing... Okay, you've lost me already. What? I, I'm following them here. Okay. Can you, can you okay. rephrase that, maybe? Uh, which part? Uh, I was reading, actually. Oh, you're reading again. Well, I, I wish you would just actually like tell us what you believe or what you have actually learned. I can paraphrase it if you need to. It's just... Uh, yeah, what are you, you trying know, to say about the war on drugs specifically? What would you like to see done? So I think you... Uh, oh, man, I, I'm almost done. <laughs> okay, so let me just finish reading. By repealing drug laws and legalizing drugs, you increase their tax revenue and decrease their spending fighting these unprofitable wars and therefore extend the life of the very entity you are trying to eliminate. That, that's it. Okay, so, that, so uh, you're saying that uh, if we suspend the drug laws, we increase the tax, which gives more, uh, more um, revenue to government, correct? And uh, also decrease their spending. And, and the how does side. that decrease their spending if they're getting more revenue? You, so you know how much the drug war costs, right? Fighting the drug war. Yeah, over the years it's been probably yep. trillions of dollars. But they would yeah. just spend that money elsewhere. And then if you're saying they're getting more revenue, then wouldn't they? that would be increasing their spending because they would be getting more revenue. I think that's a fallacy, what you just said. Everywhere you look in government where there is like, you know, the government psychiatrist versus the free market psychiatrist mm -hmm. or the government, you know, um, you know, mechanic versus, yeah. you know, the, 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 the government guy gets yeah. more money. Well, the government guy gets more money, but generally the government people are, are, are lazy. Okay? Yeah. So yeah, the guy, so also the guy that's landscaping for the government can be very lazy because right. he gets paid no matter what. He gets a pension no that's matter right. what, yeah. um, this culture builds, he has qualified immunity, the social workers, the whole, not everyone. So, uh, and and the way that all this money gets into these people's hands and into these pensions is most of it is some a lot of it's through taxation and revenue collection on the government, but mm -hmm. actually most of it is really from just deficit spending, creating more deficit, creating more money out of thin air. Mm -hmm. And every time the government loans money and gives grants, it's just money created out of thin air. Like so, Skeeter, there's a lot of um, financial issues with your flaw. Your you, and, and I mean with your um, what did he call this? Um, Accelerationism? Your acceleration that he's talking about, there's a lot of flaws with it. There's a lot of issues with it. I don't think he understands fractional reserve banking, what power that gives these people, what power mm. that gives the government. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason that you can have the massive war we have. That's the only reason you can have $35 billion right. F-35s, um, you know, $12 billion, whatever. It's, it's ridiculous. $50,000 hammers, you know, $100,000 toilet seats. It's because of fractional reserve banking. And <clears throat> so... Well, I think there's also a moral issue with it, too. I mean, I personally would not want to vote for someone like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton with the expectation that this is going to make things worse. I could not... I mean, even though, even though you can argue, and I think there's a successful argument, Mark has made it many times, that voting is, at the federal level, is relatively immaterial. It's right. not going to sure. make any real difference one way or another. But still, I don't want blood on my hands. Right. Okay, so I am going to... If I'm going to participate in voting, and I don't mind doing it at the state level because in a lot of cases I'm voting for people that I actually know, a lot of free staters, a lot of actual principled libertarians, voluntarist types, you know, liberty-loving anarchists that actually can get elected here. I feel good about voting for yeah, those people. But, uh, you know, at the national level, you're voting for evil. I mean, that's yep. what he's essentially saying is we need to continue evil. We need to increase the evil. And therefore... It would seem like he would argue that people should participate in increasing the evil, but at the very least, the accelerationists could say, well, I'm just going to do nothing, right, rather than rather than actively participate in increasing the evil by voting for it or funding it or advocating for more evil. 
they could the very less uh, step back and do absolutely nothing and still call themselves an accelerationist, I think, he, in that case. And, yeah, so, it, but his point is, if we just back up and look at the 50 years in our rearview mirror of the war on drugs, mm-hmm. it hasn't brought down the government. No, It hasn't made the it. people better. Uh, more people had died from the war on drugs than the actual drugs. If we look at, like, all yeah, of this drug, drug stuff... Um, the, 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 uh, you know, there was, you know, less people using all these drugs when they were totally legal. There were, uh, not as many, I don't think, uh, serious addicts. I mean, there were, there were still some addicts. There were still a very small percentage of the population, but they were able to actually pay for their addictions. Right. So like yep. you still had problems with addiction, but you didn't have the theft and the uh, oh, you know, right, breaking right. and enterings and well, the, the crimes that went, went along it, with so it. So a lot of the reasons you didn't have the theft 100 years ago when heroin was illegal. Because it was cheap because it well, was legal. Because it was cheap and because every everybody in America was carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. So like it was really hard to commit theft in New York City 100 and some odd years ago because you could have a gun in New York City 100 years ago, for example. You could have a gun in all these places. They didn't have all this gun prohibition yeah. stuff happening. Yeah, that's so, a factor nowadays for sure. So, so, so like... America should be the safest place in the world for two reasons, mm-hmm. guns and cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason crime is down so low is because people can just make a cell phone call and report a crime. You couldn't do that 50 years ago. Um, and and then you start looking at places like New Hampshire versus uh, Baltimore or versus, mm-hmm. you know, Chicago. You, you, um, you know, uh, and, and one of the greatest examples here in New Hampshire is like, you know, downtown in Manchester, like Central Street and Manchester Street. You got like really bad neighborhood I used to mow lawns down there like mm-hmm. five six years ago and there was always like you know uh prostitutes coming up and you know uh you know uh, uh asking us questions and there was always like sketchball crackheads checking mm-hmm. out my truck gonna steal something so me and silver dave started open carrying our uh our, our, our pistols and it did, the day we did that like people were as soon as they noticed we had our our, our pistols um they could see them they just they went the other way went we didn't else. see them anymore mm-hmm. and then a bunch of free staters started buying up houses in this neighborhood because mm-hmm. they're really cheap because it's a real crappy neighborhood right and that uh, so like in a like seven or eight free staters buy these houses and you know within a couple hundred feet of each other yep and made a big difference huh? and there's like no more sketch balls walking around because everybody <laughs> going in and out of these houses is carrying guns yeah. and so one of the older prostitutes told us one day oh they all think you're cops uh that are buying <laughs> that are in the neighborhood because they don't know you know yeah, and sure. Sure. And they don't want anything to do with any cops. They don't want, but they don't want to do anything. Anything criminals. They don't want to get shot. Do not want to <laughs> deal with people that are going to defend themselves. No, they don't. And if you're open no. carrying, you're probably going to defend yourself. Yep. Uh, That's a hard target right there. Because you, if you're attacked as someone who is carrying, you have to draw your weapon, or otherwise, mm-hmm. if you get beat up, they take it from take you. You're gun. probably dead. On Monday, I made an announcement on our website at freetalklive.com, which you can go and read at your leisure. Uh, about the Free Talk Live network of shows that we've started this week featuring Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock, who you mentioned earlier tonight, Jay. Uh, Ernie has been hosting Declare Your Independence for more than 18 years, I think, or yeah, somewhere I around I think it was 2005, years. I think, was uh, when he started that show. It used to actually be on the radio a long time ago. I think it was called Freedom's Phoenix or something. He called it something different. Back Declare your independence with Ernest Hancock. I don't know if that's what it was in when he was on the radio, because he used to produce a guy named Charles Goyette's oh, right. show. Maybe yep. it was just the Charles Goyette show. But anyway, Ernie's got some, some radio background. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were on, I think it was like Air America at one point before yeah, that's that right. went yes. down in flames. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, they've been around for a long time. And at some point, he started his own show, Declare Your Independence. And that might have been 2005. So I'm not sure what the timetable is. But he's been around for, for a long time. His show's been around for a long time. He's been on the Liberty Radio Network, which is uh, our little internet network over at LRN.FM. He's been on there for more than a decade. I'm pretty sure he started around 2010 or 2011, something like that. Uh, and he's been doing shows every single day uh, during the week for more than a decade and so his dedication to the craft of libertarian talk radio is i would say pretty much unmatched i mean this guy is he gets up at i don't know what time in the morning to start doing his show he used to start at 6 a.m pacific time back when he did a live show he's been doing a podcast version of the show for the last couple of years and i think it's been a good change for him uh to get away from doing the live show but what uh, what has happened is uh, he's taken over Monday nights here on Free Talk Live, and he's doing a uh, it is a recorded show, so he's not in not sitting in the studio live from 
uh, 7 to 10 Eastern time, which would be 4 to 7 Pacific, because, again, he gets up early and he's producing his show early in the morning. I wouldn't want to ask him to stay up late just to do a live show, and you don't really need to. And uh, and part of the reasons why it doesn't need to be live is because, honestly, the this show doesn't have the same call uh, volume that it used to. It doesn't have the same level of participation uh, that it used to. And prior to covid happening i'd actually been considering making a change to free talk live on on weeknights and then and then covid happened and it kind of like reinvigorated the show i think for a while we did have different people calling in and and talking about that particular issue specifically what was going on and and that to me kept the show fresh and the reason i started doing free talk live and i created free talk live in 2002 was because I didn't feel like most talk shows really allowed for people to express whatever viewpoints that they had to express, people calling in. Uh, Most talk show hosts would only allow, you know, they would start an hour of their show with a specific topic, and then the only people who could call in were people that wanted to talk about that specific topic. And that that was it. That was sort of like the standard talk radio format. And for me, that was uh, a kind of a disappointing experience as somebody who did have things to say, like, oh, well, this talk show host doesn't want to talk about your topic. It's not, you're not going to get to call, right? Like, you're not going to get to be yeah, heard. You got to get past a screener. Right. And most people didn't. Correct. And so I wanted something that would allow for anyone to participate. And we did. We created that. That's what Free Talk Live has been. That's what it still is uh, when we're here live in the studio. But it's gotten stale, honestly. And I, in the, you know, back in the day, I said, well, I want to create the show that I would want to listen to. And the recently, in recent years, it hasn't really been that because we get the same five callers every single night. And, and sometimes those people bring good topics to the table. I'm not going to down them and say that they're always terrible or anything like that, but it, it gets repetitive. It's like, uh, they say in the talk radio business that, the callers are the songs of talk radio. So like in, uh, you know, in music radio, you play songs and they usually play the same ones over and over again. <laughs> right? Cause yeah, that's, what, yeah. that's what people want to hear, uh, believe it or not. And in talk radio, the callers, they say are the songs. Well, in our case, getting the same five people is kind of like getting the same song every single night. It gets a little bit tiresome. Now, of course, some people could say, well, why don't you just ban the regular callers? And that's, you know, that's, that's obviously an option. I would prefer not to. I would prefer to just have a larger variety of people calling the show. But that doesn't really happen. Caller, you're on Free Talk Live. What's your name? Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. What's your name, caller? My name is Jared. Jared, you're on the air. All right. I'm going to give you some just a little bit of advice. The reason that people don't quite listen to you as much is because you you do tend to be kind of facetious. Like the few times I've called in, it's kind of like, you know, no matter what I say, there's always some crashing argument against me instead of just letting me say what I want to say and then just leaving it at that. Does that make sense? So you don't like that we talk back and have a conversation? Oh, no, no. You can talk back, but it's just like you can't just constantly crash somebody whenever they have a point of view. I I, I think I can... um, What do you mean by crash, though? uh, Let me say this for a second. So sometimes, Ian, you're definitely like... You know, sort of hostile mm-hmm. towards like people, like like Skeeter, for example. I, you know, I could, you know, I, I, well, I Skeeter's hostile, so I'm going to sure, treat him appropriately. Sure. But like in this particular call, he didn't yeah. really seem too hostile. No. He was just trying to bring a point across. But you definitely, you know, got in like that uh, sort of a, a, a defensive position. I think this is kind of where uh, where I'm sorry, I forget the caller's name, um, but it's kind of I think where the caller's going a little bit, and and. and I have uh, in the past. Uh, there's been a couple of people who have stated to me, um, you know, they th- like they didn't like like you and Mark Pickering was like mm-hmm. one complaint. Oh, everybody complains guy. about all kinds of things. And uh, <laughs> you know, it, some people love it when Mark yep. and I uh, bicker, yep. and some people hate it. So yep, what sure. are you going to do? Sure. And also, that you know, people have been like, oh, you know, uh, they, they've complained. Uh, some people have complained about you being like too hostile towards callers. Mm-hmm. They've complained about Aria being too hostile. Yeah, sure. And 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 like like I you know like you said you're, you're kind of burnt out. And and you and and you're, yeah, but we got those complaints before I was burnt sure. out. 
Sure, but yeah, uh, you know, when you when you start getting like you know nonsense phone calls from people and like just annoying stuff, I, I you know I can see where you sort of get a little sour. Uh, so that might be, yeah. I think, where he's going. And I'm, I'm just kind of. Well, I guess what do you what do you mean, caller, when you say crash? What does that mean? Where you just where no matter what they say, you you just have to rail against it and then just try to poke them and prod them and just try to get them you know mad as all get out and you, you just kind of shut them down. Well, I mean, I guess it just depends on what that person's saying. I mean, my perspective is, uh, you know, if you're going to call in and you're advocating for whatever tyrannical government program or something, then I'm going to go at you. I mean, that's what's going to happen. I don't know what you were calling about, so I obviously know, have no point of reference in regards to you specifically. And if somebody calls in and they're hostile, I'm going to give it. I'm going to feed it back to them. If somebody calls in and they're just having a nice conversation, we're going to have a, a nice, friendly conversation. So it just kind of depends on what the person brings to the table. But I, I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, hey, I think what y'all are doing is great. Like, I'm not, like, trying to chop you down. I'm just saying, you know, like, let somebody finish a thought. And then if somebody is a halfway decent person, they'll finish their thought and then let you respond. Yeah, no, and I feel like we do that most of the time. The, the only problem is when somebody thinks that they can just go on and on and on, like Skeeter's an example of this, where they'll just, if we let Skeeter, he would just read a page out of a book. And yep. that's not a conversation, right? So, yeah, that doesn't work. That right? doesn't work at all. Yeah. A, a couple years ago, a good friend of mine called into the show. His name's Dave Kopaz. He mm-hmm. does like a little red pill politics thing on uh, Saturday nights on Facebook. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, he uh, uh, and, and he's been doing like you know radio stuff and podcasts for years also. And he he called into your show. He was the, the I don't know if you remember who Dave Kopaz is. Yeah, I remember uh, he drug drug a flag right. around. That's, uh, exact, Pork Fest that's once. That's exactly what he he called in to talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, then and I listened to the call and. Like, uh, so, so at the end of the segment, you're like, oh, and thank you very much for your Dave. And he still had a whole lot more he wanted to tell you. Oh yeah. That's also common. You know, and, uh, and, and he was like, he was like offended that you, um, like, you know, cut him off. And I says, well, he was at the end of the segment and, um, you know, he had other calls coming in and, you know, don't feel offended you know that uh he says thanks have a great day and cut you off because because right. even you and i have been friends for a long time and i call in all the time and say stuff and then you're like all right jay thanks and i you know i'll go on forever you know sure. i i have the yeah. ability to do i have that. to interrupt you sure <laughs> and, if i just sit here yeah. you'll just talk <laughs> right 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 and uh it's, but so anyways you know um uh, I, I and and I just know I, I don't get offended because I just yeah. I understand what's going on. I've been here, uh, but there are like people who are callers that like you know they kind of get offended. Yeah, you know, that no they doubt. Get cut off. It's and, a long. That's a long time complaint about just talk radio in general. Yeah. In fact, somebody gave me uh, I forget who I was talking to today about this, but somebody gave me an example of how they called into the Alan Combs show once upon a time. He used to be a, to- a Fox uh, host. Used to be on with. Yeah, Hannity. I remember him. Yeah, yep. and uh, he asked. Combs, he was going to like ask Combs a question about something, and he asked the question, or he said the thing he wanted to say to, to Combs to open. Combs said something back, and the caller started to respond, but he was already cut off. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.